0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone exploring all things wine with you. Hello, Kim. What's today's first topic to discuss?
1: So the first thing that we wanted to talk about today was appropriate serving temperature of your wines. This is a question that we get often, whether it's for serving wine at home or in a restaurant or in a party. And there are some rules of thumb, and we wanted to clarify a few things about what people uh, should be doing about serving their wine at the appropriate temperature for that kind of wine.
0: Yeah, this this article, uh, the source of the article was USA Today Network, and they did a good job of, of picking out whites and red temperatures. One of the things I, I always like to say is a reference temperature to is room temperature. They always say wine should be consumed at room temperature. Now, years ago, when this statement came out, the room temperature is a lot different than room temperature today. I always joke with people that uh, my house, my wife, room temperature is 90 degrees. Uh, <laughs> so you have to be careful when serving things at room temperature.
1: And really, when they came up with this idea of quote unquote, room temperature, they were really talking about like old world European room temperature, which is a- a whole lot cooler than we usually keep our houses here in the state. So room temperature for reds really should be served somewhere between the 60-65 degree mark. And we then tend to think of that as pretty cool room temperature, but that's really where your, most red wines are going to show their best.
0: Yeah. And the, and the higher the room temperature, the more that affects the alcohol of the wine. So the alcohol will start evaporating. You'll get different effects. A red wine will become more bitter if it's if it's hotter at temperature. And in white wines, we often serve... White wines are tastings at room temperature, Just to get them more aromatic But I think people tend to chill them way too much Mm -hmm. Your opinion on that? Or put
1: ice cubes in them
0: yeah. Which sometimes,
1: juice. depending on the quality of the wine, might actually not be a bad thing. You know, there's something about adding that extra little bit of temperature to a wine that really shows shows kind of all of its flaws. So if you have a better quality wine, you know, you go ahead and serve that wine a little bit warmer. But if you have something that maybe isn't as good of a quality and you want to hide that a little bit, go ahead and serve that colder than than you ordinarily would, because then it's just going to be a little bit more refreshing and sort of hide some of those some of those flaws. That's a great
0: point. I mean, temperature but either way can hide things or mm-hmm. mask things. What do you what's your opinion on white wine in general?
1: White wine in general as far as serving temperature? Serving to, yes. I honestly probably serve them a little too cold. The rule of thumb is serve them somewhere around 55 degrees. I like mine just a little bit colder than that, but it for me, whites and roses, you know, people are looking for something that is refreshing. They're looking for something that's hopefully gonna go with their lighter foods. So that cooler temperature, I think, is what people are, are looking for.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you say that whites at 50, it's the refridge. You take wines out of the fridge, your your fridge is at 40, right. 38. Right. So a lot of times people say 20 minutes before you serve it, take it out, and with reds, 20 minutes Vice in the versa. fridge. Right. Put, so, put your red wines in the refrigerator. Never, I never do that with my, my reds, honestly. I what? do that
1: with my lighter reds. Yeah, actually. you put them in the fridge. And I do. I'll you know. serve things like Pinot Noir, things like Beaujolais. I'll serve them a little bit colder, and especially at some of my wine events what I'll do or my wine tastings every once in a while I will put that bottle of red wine even if it's a regular heavy red wine into my bucket full of ice and ice water just to keep it at a little bit of a cooler temperature because you don't want it getting above that 65 68 degree mark and coming up to true American room temperature because then that also you know that's the other side of it then those red wines are not going to show as well so at the exact same way that if you have those white wines that are served too cold if you have red wines that are serve too warm they're really not going to be tasting their best
0: yeah and the key with those red wines you mentioned they're very light red wine so they mm-hmm. can take that little chill if you do that with uh cabernet or zinfandel right uh, the cold will just bring out the tannins and it's make all about it really those tannins. bitter. yeah so i mean it is a good idea especially in hot months uh give a red a little chill mm-hmm. you don't want to be sipping on a hot red wine Ooh. it really defeats the purpose hot cabernet <laughs> and uh <laughs> and as far as the the whites i i think we get good feedback feedback. feedback when we do events and people come in and things are pre-poured and they're at so-called room temperature because the whites really In the reds, too, people walk in a room where there's a tasting, it's very aromatic, and that's due to the wines coming up to a temperature and releasing the aromatic. So, I I think we get good feedback with that temperature.
1: I would say that for that rule, I would prefer to break it for sparkling wines. Like, I like my bubbly to be really cold, and I think most people do. And that is a general good way to go. You know, make sure that your sparkling wines are kept well chilled, well chilled. and they and the, will taste better the main
0: that. thing with the sparklings colder is to keep the pressure right down because you don't want you, those exploding yeah bubbles. if you've never experienced you'll know if the, if the sparkling <laughs> wine is too warm because it'll just the pressure will build up and just explode on you when you open it uh, so it's not fun i've gone through that a few times, unfortunately. Yeah, so have
1: I. People also ask us, what's the best way to chill down a wine? If you need a cold bottle and you don't have a cold bottle, what do you do about it? It's like, oh, do you put it in the freezer? Do you put it in the refrigerator? The best way to chill down a bottle of wine is in a mixture of ice and water. And you're looking for actually more water than ice. So an ice water bath is going to chill something probably four times faster than putting it in the refrigerator.
0: Yeah. Do you see, it's interesting because I noticed lately buying white rights. In a restaurant, they tend to take them from a fridge and put them more in a ceramic vessel mm-hmm. or a cooling vessel, but not with liquid any longer. Have you right. noticed that? I've as seen much? that
1: too. And as long as those, and I have a couple of these at home, they um, they look like marble and they yes. they retain the cold really well. So if those are stored in the freezer or stored in the refrigerator, then they keep the wines fairly well chilled. And I don't know if that has to do if the way that restaurants are changing the way that they're serving it, it might honestly just be a mess factor. Yeah, you know? it
0: could be presentation. If it you is don't messy. have have a
1: big drippy bottle yeah. of you know chardonnay that you're pulling out every once in a while to top off everybody's glasses that makes a little bit of a nicer presentation
0: yeah. presentation of the labels not mm-hmm. it's not dripping all yep, over your table true. and they should usually they'll pour it your. your is a presentation thing mm-hmm. what what about one of the other common things we hear is how do you store it before you serve it and a lot of times people have these nice little racks in their kitchen sitting on the mm. counter and it's really bad yeah to keep them the kitchen
1: is really not the best place to store your wine you know we hear some people that oh, always store it next to the refrigerator or store it above the refrigerator or store it on the bar. If you're storing your wine in an area that has just room temperature constantly or warmer, if it's the kitchen, what with cooking and appliances and things going on, you are um, impacting how long that wine is going to live. So you are aging that wine in an unnaturally fast way.
0: Yeah. And the temperature is probably rising much more than room temperature because of the devices around it. So yeah. So be careful how you store it. Uh, and, And if you like a wine, And, you know, the other thing is if you personally like putting ice cubes in your wine, that's the way (laughs) you you drink the wine. Just be aware that sometime maybe don't put the ice cubes in it. Let it warm up just a little bit and see if you notice a difference uh, when you taste. And you might like it at a different temperature. Explore it. If it's your regular wine every day, explore at different temperatures and then see what you think.
1: Yeah, it'll give you a a new perspective on what wines taste like at a colder temperature versus at a warmer temperature. So,
0: yes, so try different temperatures and let us know what you think about that.
1: Welcome back and you are listening to The Wonderful World of Wine with Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. Today one of our topics we wanted to talk about the newly expanding Israeli wine market and there are really some wonderful wines that are coming out of Israel these days and there is there are some misconceptions between what is an Israeli wine versus what is a kosher wine. Are they the same thing? Are there differences? And we just wanted to get some information out about these, uh, these newer wines that are hitting the market.
0: Y- yeah, the, the source of this was 750 daily, which is a, a kind of a distributor's use of a liquor industry uh, articles. But I was really opened up to this in a few ways, Kim, because back in 2016, Wine Spectator did a whole feature about upcoming regions in the world, and, and Israel w- was the region they focused on, and it, and it opened my eyes. And not only with this article, but with, I had a vendor that came in and specializes in wines from the region, and my whole idea and thinking about Israeli wines was the kosher movement Mm -hmm. you know and that was my mind was blown away but they do grow tremendous amount of I think 40 different varietals so they're growing all international varietals and the kosher thing is kind of to the side to them it's they just want to produce good wine
1: right and it's a you know it's interesting looking at what makes a wine kosher and what makes a wine non-kosher and there are definite uh, markets that are looking for specific kosher certification but the interesting thing for me, having done a number of kosher tastings with people for around, you know, around the Jewish holidays and just people who want to learn a little bit more is that there actually are two designations of kosher wines and the area of the world that they come from really doesn't have anything to do with that. So you no. could have kosher wines from Israel, you have kosher wines from America, you have kosher wines from Italy. There are some that are wonderful.
0: Are you saying kosher being the two designations of kosher for Passover and just kosher? There's, is that, well, there's is that it's
1: different. So there's kosher for Passover, there's kosher, and then there is a, another level of kosher wine called mevushal. And this is what people think about, I think, when they are thinking about um, like Manischewitz wine. What happens with the mevushal ones is that the wines themselves undergo a flash pasteurization, which makes them um, able to be handled by non-Orthodox observing Jews or people who are not orthodox observing Jews, are able to handle those wines, pour them, enjoy them with other people, and they still retain their kosher designation. So that would be entry-level wines. It, they, it, they end up being the entry-level wines, I think, because of that heat treatment. And they, it does affect the quality of the wine a little bit. But if you are looking for a wine to serve at a holiday, and you might have people at your table that maybe are reformed Jews, or maybe aren't Jews at all, and you want to serve a kosher wine, and you want it to retain that kosher designation, you need to go with the Mevelshell wine because if you have a kosher wine that needs to that you've got people that you're serving that with that it's important to them that it is kosher and there certainly are people and communities out there that that is important to them if you are if that wine has been handled by somebody who is not Jewish that loses its kosher, kosher designation so it's it's sort of a slippery slope when you start talking about who has made the wine who has imported the wine who has put that bottle of wine on the shelf who has opened it in a restaurant um, and for people who that is an important thing that they want to they want to stick to, then, you know, you're really looking at that Mephoshel category because it opens up the wine to being able to be imported and sold in establishments that are not run by Orthodox Jews. And they have
0: symbols they put on the labels to help you figure out which is which is which Mm -hmm. style. And it was interesting to me, uh, this article touched on it as a retailer, I have been putting categorizing these wines in a kosher section, right? Just a kosher section, not not an Israeli section. So, and I of, think
1: that that's typical. I don't think that you are out of the ordinary doing that. I think most stores will do that, or restaurants will have a kosher section on their, um, you know, on their wine list. And what w- it seems to be that we're seeing is that a lot of these Israeli producers are saying, no, you know, have a separate Israel se- selection. You know, you've got wines from Argentina, you've got wines from Chile, New Zealand. Have one from Israel because we're just as good of a wine producing area as these other places are.
0: Yeah, and then and then the consumer can also would relate. To Israel as a kosher option, so I mean that whole instance it opened my eyes to where I marketed it in, mm-hmm. on the retail shelf. So I put an Israeli cab with my Cabernet, but I did have a lot of non-Israeli kosher wine, right? So and like you said before, that the traditional years ago was you know Menashevitz men- 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 to, <laughs> to celebrate the holidays, right. and it was a few years back where I actually had a customer point out to me that most of the well, not most of it, but there are versions of Menashevitz that are kosher, but not certified kosher for Passover. Correct. There's two different versions. So it's always good to keep up on that. And this article brought a lot of great points. But the the main thing I got out of it's another up and coming region in the wine world we have to watch out for. They're making nice Cabernet. They're actually making Moscato. So there's a lot
1: to look. Mm -hmm. I've certainly had some very nice Moscatos from Israel. And uh, those reds, you know, they they really show beautiful fruit. And, you know, it's nice to be seeing regions that have a lot of history, but we haven't necessarily necessarily seen them in the modern winemaking movement and it's good that they're available here in the states for us too.
0: Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, uh, exploring all things wine with you. If you have any questions for us in the future, please send them to us on our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine. Our next topic is going to be uh, France Vintage Report 2017. The source of this was the Wine Spectator. And this was very interesting because they've been having a lot of climate problems there this year, Kim.
1: Yeah, it's been a tough year for France. Um, Happened at the beginning of the season was there were a number of regions that were impacted very heavily by frost in the spring and it came at the absolute worst time just as the uh, the berries and the flowers were on vines. so April, a lot of April yeah it was month. April so um, a lot of the future crop was destroyed by this uh, hit of frost so Bordeaux lost a lot the Loire Valley did too and then it was a particularly hot summer in a number of different places too so you end up having less fruit but really concentrated fruit so most of the places that have less of a crop this year they're hoping that the quality will make up for it. But sometimes you just can't make up for losing half of what you expect to harvest in a particular year. So this does happen. We're dealing with wine, which is an agricultural product. And a lot of the time, winemakers still these days are at the hands of what happens uh, from Mother Nature. So sometimes it's just one of those things you have to deal with. It was
0: really interesting reading. They say, like you were saying, 50% less crop due to the weather. But the quality of the crop is great. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, they're saying the worst maybe since 1945. Yeah. And uh, and production will be down. But my question to you, which there's things called vintage reports that come mm -hmm. out every year. Wine Spectator is one of the people who put it out. And they rate a year. So my question to you, Kim, is when this vintage 2017 gets rate, if the quality of the fruit is good, but the production is low, will they rate it a good year?
1: I think they will, because most of that is based on what the wine in the bottle tastes like, so or the wine I, in the barrel see, tastes I mean, like. mean, that's
0: interesting, because they had a horrible year, right. but the quality was still good. So even though production is low, they still win out in a way, because it can drive up pricing. Yep. So they the, what they lose in volume, they gain in quality, and they can maintain profit, I, mm-hmm. I would assume, from this.
1: And a lot of French wine wineries will keep back a number of vintages, so that they can continue to sell those just in case they have a vintage like this, which happens at least once a decade and sometimes more often than that. So for Bordeaux, for example, if they don't have a lot of entry level twenty seventeen wines that they can sell that will hit our shelves in the, you know, ten to twenty dollar range, they have some held back from twenty fifteen. They have some held back from twenty sixteen. So you'll be seeing that the gaps will be covered by those vintages and then they'll just hopefully move on to a better year in twenty eighteen.
0: Yeah, and they they did give I saw numbers saying um, they'll be down about 40 million cases because yeah, of it. The- crazy so, I mean, to think about the numbers from 2016 vintage to be down that many million all throughout throughout France and all in the news lately there's, there's been issues everywhere champagne had frosts mm-hmm. and, and they do have means to prevent frost but it, sometimes they just don't can't predict it and right. to prevent it so I mean it's sad to see what happens uh, when things hit and you know we always hear about rain at the worst times Affects the fruit, but frost as it's developing was the key thing I was taking out of this, is, is what happened.
1: Hello, you've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine with Mark and Kim. And right now we want to talk about an article that we found in Business Insider It gave a little bit of information on if you are trying to be healthy, what are some of the healthier alcoholic beverages that you could be consuming if you still wanted to consume alcohol as part of a healthy lifestyle? What was your main takeaway from this one, Mark? Well,
0: as always, dealing with alcohol, we have to stress moderation is key. And I always say this, that you can always find something good about an alcoholic Healthy, wise, and and something bad. Key. I thought for this, there were six beverages that they listed. Three of them were wine, so that's what I want to talk about. The other, the other three were tequila, rum, and whiskey. But let's talk about the three wines they listed. Wine you know, type.
1: usually when people are talking about healthy drinking or being able to incorporate alcohol into your healthy lifestyle usually the first thing that people will talk about is red wine and there is some science to back up the fact that there are things in red wine that are good for you the alcohol generally is what is considered the bad thing for you so again that moderate drinking you know you don't want to drink too much or binge drink but for red wines the thing that has the health benefits uh, science is finding are these things called polyphenol and there's resveratrol and there are all of these chemical compounds that are found in the skins of the grape that are either good for your heart or good for your blood pressure or good for other things for your body. So I thought it was interesting that in this list, they not only list red wines, but they also list rosé wines, which has a lot of the same benefits that they are pulling from the skins of the grapes because rosé is a little bit of a hybrid red wine, white wine, because it is, it starts as its life as a red wine where you get contact between the juice and the skin. Skins. And so the wine itself is pulling some of those uh, beneficial chemical compounds from the skins. Yeah, so
0: resveratrol, the red wine, we've seen studies going way back on this. There was a 60 Minutes thing years ago mm-hmm. that brought it to light. And, and they, then they would come out and say, well, you, you'd have to drink. If you just had resveratrol, they were coming out in a pill form. You'd have to take so much of it to get, you know, to build up this, this tolerance. The Locally, UMass did a study on resveratrol saying that it, it slowed down the glucose building up in your, your bloodstream. I, I was trying to, you know, medically understand it, but that's the, that's the idea that there's something good they look at for right. it. So I may have a good health benefit for someone because of that. And you mentioned uh, the rosé, the gins do touch the grapes and the, the health benefit of that, they were saying health uh, for your heart, which is a very common thing you, you read about wine being uh, good for you, involved.
1: Mm-hmm. And the it, other interesting wine one that came up here was champagne. And this is actually from a relatively recent, study And what people are thinking is that it's the extended contact that the champagne has with the dead yeast cells is the way that traditional quality true champagne is made. uh, It takes years to produce a bottle of champagne because the aging process is so long. So the that champagne will spend a lot of its life just sitting in a bottle with the the dead yeast sitting on it. And it, it creates not only really wonderful flavor and aromatic compounds, but that there is some research to show that those compounds pounds then have a positive uh, health benefit. And a, a lot of the studies have been looking at memory and that champagne uh, consumption and people who consume champagne protected in some ways from dementia, which I think which I think is interesting. Yeah, so. It's interesting.
0: And it just brings up the point again that you can always find, you can something, always find something good. And, you know, then in the champagne, the champagne bureau can jump on this as, right. as a marketing. I should definitely look into that because my memory is, is horrible. <laughs> but also with champagne, they said it's good for your skin, your quality of your skin which i thought was an interesting I point thought that was something interesting different too. Like, angle hmm, i
1: wonder why
0: yeah there's there's just there's always something you can find that's good always i refer back when doing an event one time and the instructor said uh he just stopped everybody he said you know we we provide with with alcohol in a way a really healthful means uh for people to enjoy <laughs> uh it does me personally since i've been tasting wine i've been thank god healthy and i don't know if it's related but i'll use it i, I I think my doctor i don't know when you go to your doctor but they ask do you drink i said well i taste a lot so and they i don't know what they consider moderation as far as tasting but uh, we yeah, deal with that all. and
1: week. we you know when we go to these big industry wine tastings we spit out a lot of wine so we're not consuming an ounce here an ounce there you know a lot of it is leaving our system thankfully uh as people who appreciate wine and who try to incorporate wine into a healthy lifestyle i probably drink more than my doctor would like me to as being a relatively small person. My, uh, my wine consumption is recommended to be less than some other people. I'm only five foot two. But yeah, you know, incorporating it into a not only a healthy lifestyle, but you know, we try to eat a Mediterranean diet. And you know, traditionally, folks that live around the Mediterranean do have wine as a component in that diet. So it kind of for me, all all goes hand in hand. And if you are enjoying yourself, and you're enjoying your meal, and you're enjoying your life, and wine is a part of that, I see that as improving one's health as well even if it's your mental health and not necessarily just your physical health
0: yeah so just the key is moderation 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 explore different things and and see how it affects you hopefully in these health
1: and stay hydrated You have been exploring the wonderful world of wine with Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. We invite you to visit our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us your comments and what you think and any topics of conversation that you would like us to explore in the future.